You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church and Pleasant Green Road. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Sam, thank you. Where'd he go? There he is. Lost him for a second. Couldn't find it. Thank you for sharing, Dawn and, and the other guys. Um, thank you for sharing this morning and leading us. And then you got the praise team and the choir and, and Becky um, leading the choir this morning. And so, um, good stuff. Um, God is good, isn't he? All right, that was, that was somewhat of a rumble. That's good. I, we struggle with some of that sometimes, don't we? Um, here's, here's a question. <laughs> yeah, thanks, dear. Um, I've got a couple pieces up here. Um, we're going we're gonna to do something that's a little different this morning um, early on. So, um, so what I need you to do is I need you to take your face, and I, and I need to do this too today because it's one of those days. I don't know if it's because it's dreary or it's, I don't know. But if you just take, take your fingers and do, put it on the edge of your mouth like this and push it up just a bit. All right, that's good. That helps me. Looking at you, that helps me. So that, that's good, and, and maybe, you know, if I can get that going, it'll, it'll help you too, so, so it's good. Um, this morning, we talk about giving our life to Christ and about um, the, the grace that He pours on us. Um, it's, it's sometimes a challenge to, to recognize that grace in the middle of stuff, in the middle of circumstances. And so we, we've got that, and we say, God, my chains are gone, I've been set free. And then you, you turn around, and at the same time, you feel like, okay, I know I sung that. However, they still feel like chains. They, they, they seem to still be there, and they've not gone away. And, and so there's this, there's this part of us, and we say, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you doing around me? What are you doing in me? That, that I still have this feeling, although I want to sing that and apply all the grace that you want to apply to my life. So we may struggle with that. And so I want to ask a question on the front end, because when we talk about Psalm 1, and that's where we're going this morning, we ask this question, how committed are you to the journey? It's a question I have to ask me. How committed am I to the journey? If I've started this journey of grace that's been applied to my life because I've turned over my life to Christ. I've got to realize that it doesn't happen with a prayer and then everything's fixed or everything's okay or, or everything's going to be right from that point. There, honestly, I came to, to faith in Christ in 1980, which some of you weren't even born yet. I realized that. In fact, some of you weren't even the thought, the thought of you being born hadn't happened yet. But, but there's some of you that were, have been around that long, and you go, okay, if came to faith in Christ in 1980, the stuff that's behind and the stuff that has been forward, there's still struggles on both sides of that. And so what, God, are you doing in, in me and through me, through all of this? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Psalm 1 because there are some, some practical things in Psalm 1 that help us understand that we're part of this journey and allowing God to work in us. And so if you would turn there, um, I want to make a couple of statements and then we're going to do something that's going to require you to do this without the fingers. Okay? So I want you to hear this. Daily decisions determine destination. Daily decisions determine destination. You go... I don't know if I agree with that. I want to tell you, think, think about it for just a moment. What decisions do you make on a daily basis that determine what happens next? And then understand that if we make a decision on a particular part of our life, then we may set a trajectory that is either for God or against God. I was reading something this week. Um, I was just curious. If... If I, I got on a plane at RDU, and I got on that plane, and I have faith, and when I, you know, some people, they go, 
they'll, they'll get to the edge of the plane and they'll put their hands on the side. I'm praying over this plane. I just walk on the plane. I'm not, I don't think all that spiritual when I get on the plane. It's just like, I'm figuring this thing's going to fly. And the guys in the front or ladies in the front, whoever's in charge of this with all that, all those knobs and gadgets and, and all that stuff that I don't even understand, just looks like a whole bunch of clocks to me that which are not, that's not going to work. But if I, if I look at that, I say, okay, I'm, you're in charge of that. And I'm not going to worry about it. I figure they've been trained. As long as I don't see a five-year-old sitting in that seat and staying there, then I'm okay. It's when that five-year-old stays there that I get a little concerned. So if I turn it over to the pilot and I, I get on that plane, but if I get on that plane at RDU and the idea is that I'm headed to LAX, to Los Angeles, if that plane is off by one or two degrees, there's no telling where I'll end up. You realize you can be, for two degrees, you can be up to 74 miles off course. So you could land in the ocean. You could land as far north as Santa Barbara or as far, far south. I don't know if I, I may not be getting this right. My, my California geography is not perfect. Um, but you could end up a long way south. And so you could miss LAX by a long ways if you're just two degrees off. And, I, and I'm thinking, okay, just two degrees. I sure hope that guy knows what he's doing. And yet we think that if we make decisions that it's not going to affect where we end up. We make decisions and it does affect where we end up. It affects where we go in life. But there's more to it than that. Erwin McManus asked this question, and you may not know who that is, but he asked this question um, talking about life, divine moments, and he said this, if you could capture one moment of your life, what would it be? If you could capture one moment of your life, what would it be? So this is what we're going to do this morning. I made sure this worked, sort of, is we're taking a picture of you. Some of you are going, well, you ain't getting a smile now. And then some of you are going, I, I feel like bunny ears are coming up behind somebody. I'm just feeling it. You know, you struggle with that. So, so, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to start on this side because this is one of those panoramic view things. So, um, so you guys are going to have to start smiling early. Don't wait till I get there because I'm not sure how that's going to work. So, but we're going to start over here so you guys at least get the warning. And, and I need to stand still or this probably will not work. All right, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. I'll, I'll post it. You can't take reverse pictures. Okay, all right, you ready? You ready? You look like you're ready, but nobody's saying anything. Say yes or ready. Okay, good. All right, here we go. One, two, three. It does not record sound. Okay, that's good. We'll see, I'll, um, here's what we'll do. I will attempt to post that on Facebook later so you can check it out. And those of you that were in here and go, I want to know who was there this morning. Blow it up and check it out. I'll tell you what we, we need to do because I can't get the balcony. So, yeah, would you guys, do you mind just, just for the sake of, um, I don't know what it's called. Just give me, give me a break kind of thing. Would you guys mind standing up and smiling? And I'll, I'll try to do up there and see how that turns out. This is a, I don't think I can zoom on this thing, so we're, we're stuck. So you, it may be, you may get a picture and not be able to even see you, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. Here we go. One, two, three. Balcony doesn't go as far as y'all do. So good. Thank you. Way to participate up there. That's good. So, so I've captured a moment. Captured a moment. If we take the moment that you've chosen in your mind as the, the piece that you want to capture in your life, what would that moment signify? It may be that moment where you said, I do, to somebody else. It may be the moment where you said, where, where you're kind of like that, that skit where somebody's, giving birth and you're on the other side and you go, hey, I put you in here. You know, one of those kind of things, you're receiving that child. Maybe that. We won't, uh, those of you that have youngins in the room, you can explain that later. And so, 
But, but it may be that moment. There may be other moments that you would chose, that you would have chosen. It may be one of those deals where um, you made a decision about a job or, or even what you had on a particular meal because it made some kind of difference in your life. But if we were to capture that moment, we'd say, okay, now how has that changed my life from that point forward? How has it changed it? The effective, effective Christian living is predicated on the series of small, seemingly insignificant decisions, moments, or snapshots. So Psalm 1 is really all about choice. It's about decisions. What are we going to do moving forward? Because the truth is, you can't change yesterday's decision. Now you make it change the course of what would happen because of a decision from yesterday, but you can't change the decision. So we're going to look at this because decisions are the most powerful tools that you have through your journey called life. And people make awful decisions, and some people make golden decisions. And we can look around and see, see some of that. Some people you go, man, I wish they would straighten out their life. And then others are going, it doesn't really matter what you do. Everything's good for you. And we kind of view that. It's all about decisions. Decisions change things. Before we read this, Psalm 1 is divided essentially into divisions. The first section, the second section, then just kind of a wrap-up summary verse that kind of gives the psalmist um, overview of this whole thing. Well, I was in a, a funeral yesterday. Um, was here, and the guy that was speaking up here was talking about a, a particular thing, and I've heard it a lot of times. And he was talking out of Ecclesiastes, and he started mentioning what is gets put on a tombstone. You know what gets put there, right? You've got the the names, and then you have a birth date and a and a death date, and then there's a, a dash in between. And he was talking about it. He said, you know, the, the thing that we, that, that we need to consider is the dash. And what does that dash? That dash represents life in between those two dates. I thought, well, you're right. To a certain extent, you are right. But if the dash becomes the end all, if the dash becomes the focus, then we've missed out on something. Because the dash, all that is, is a place for a series of decisions that really affect what happens after the end date. If we forget that there's something after the end date, then we live our whole life for the dash. That in the scope of eternity is just a brief moment, what God calls a whisper or a gasp. It's something that disappears very quickly. And I, and I can say that because... Honestly, I know how old I am. I can check. And I, and I don't think of myself as old as I am. And you guys are probably the same way. If you're at a certain point, you go, I feel like I'm 20 or I feel like I'm 30 or whatever it happens to be. When I'm, <laughs> I don't know what was exactly funny, but there was conversation happening back there somewhere. Uh, now, uh, don't, don't even tell me. I'll, I'll find out later. But like when I'm playing, if I play spike ball with, with Scott and, and maybe some of the students at some point, now we've, we played at a Sunday school function not too long ago, and it flat wore me out. Because my body was going, you're 20. No, no, it wasn't. My mind was saying, I'm 20. My body was saying, oh, stop, please. <laughs> it wasn't even calling out a number. And the next day, the voice got louder, but the body didn't move any, body moved less. And so when we, when we look at life and that dash and what happens in that dash, we've got to consider the decisions that we make because it affects eternity. And so the psalmist writes this in Psalm 1. Would you stand as we read this psalm together? Here's what it says. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He says, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. And then it says in verse 4, it says, but the wicked are not so. But they are like chaff which wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, did you catch all three parts in that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning in your word. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged by what it means to trust you and follow you for the journey. I pray that you would help us in our decisions. And Father, at the same time, God, I pray that you would help us to be the most effective reflectors of your character that we can possibly be. And God, knowing that that is tough, I pray that by your spirit, that as we trust you, that you would accomplish what you want to in us through surrender, and you doing your work. And so God, we, we echo what Paul said, that I am confident of this very thing, that he, you, who began a good work in us, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so Father, we thank you for who you are, for what you do. We pray that you would work in this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 1 is in these three sections. Now, the first part is this whole blessed idea. And so if we were, we were to look at it, it says, blessed is the man, right? And that whole idea, I need to learn how to walk, don't I? Um, that whole idea of blessed is the man starts out with this exclamation of, of something. Because he's going to say, He's going to be very clear. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So the first thing I want us to understand is who and where. Who are the players and where are they in this psalm? So blessed is the man who, and, and then he gives this description, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. We're going to just stop right there and just say, okay, God, what do you want us to do? And then we have to ask ourselves, do we want to be blessed? Do we want to fall into that category of what God would consider blessed? So Psalm 1, this, what the psalmist writes, this is blessed or this shout out, if you will, of what it means to follow Christ. And so there's some who's and where's in this. The first thing that we, that we see does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So the first thing they don't, the first thing the blessed man doesn't do is he doesn't accept bad advice. But he will check it against what God says in his word. And so he does not listen to the counsel of those that have a different point of view or, a unbi or an unbiblical point of view. The second part is they won't stand in the path of sinners or think about or even consider or ponder what needs, what needs to go on. They won't consider that which does not please God. So the blessed man doesn't accept bad counsel. They don't hang out in a place or stand in the path where bad counsel is given. But the third thing is they don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, I put these chairs up here, these stools up here, because to, to just pass by means that you will get some information. If one of you got up and I was talking, whoever came by, they would pick up those few words that I might say as they pass by. And then they're out the door. That's part of what could happen. But if the, if the person comes and has a seat, and parks here for a while, then they will receive much more. They will get more of that thing which does not please God. And then they will start to make decisions based on errant advice or errant counsel. 
And so the person who is blessed does not park himself in a seat where he's surrounded by those that do not follow Christ. Now, I want to be really clear that our job, our responsibility as a Christian is not to avoid everybody that doesn't have relationship with Christ. That's not what the psalmist is saying. Because you could get that. You could go in here and say, it told me, I look at Psalm 1, it says, blessed is a man who stays away from all that stuff. It means that I avoid people like the plague that have no relationship with Christ. But that's not what the psalmist says. He says, don't listen to their advice. Don't seek their counsel. Don't hang out with them in such a way that it starts affecting your life. And so we have to be very careful about about our relationship with those that do not have relationship with Christ. Is our job is to share Christ with somebody, but not to be pulled down by them at the same time. And so we have to be very careful in how we deal with those that don't have a relationship with Christ. It's not an avoidance, it's a purposeful engagement. And if you are purposefully engaging, then you get to share the joy of Christ that is in your life. Now, there is a a caveat to this that comes in the second part of this psalm. The second part of this is where we find the strength to go into those places and share Christ without losing our witness or without losing the blessing. So here's what it says. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So if we throw that in the mix then we kind of have those parameters for how we're supposed to approach those that don't have a relationship with Christ. We look at that and we say, okay, God, what do you want us to do in this? Well, let me ask this. Have you ever pondered compromise? You ever thought about that? You said, if I just give in a little bit on this, what would that really affect? We can go back to the two-degree idea of flying a plane from one side of the country to the other. And we may say it's not going to affect much, but a single decision of following unwise counsel can, can lead away from God and be very detrimental. When I was, I'd, I'd been saved for a little while, probably about five years, felt like God was calling me to ministry. And so I went in to talk to my boss And I shared with him that my plan was to go to seminary. I was going to do that. I felt called to student ministry. And at that point, it was like, okay. And he just, he turned to me and he said this. He said, I want to offer you something. And I want you to consider it. I want you to ponder it, think about it. He didn't say, I want you to pray over it. He just said, I want you to think about it. And so what he did is he said, here, you've been doing this job, which meant getting up at, 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, driving about 45 minutes, meeting with people in, in hotels to, to set up their audiovisual stuff. He said, this is what I want you to do. We're going to take you out of that job, and I want to give you a sales job that will pay you about $7,000 more than you're getting paid. I want you to check on clients. So it means you don't have to get up real early. You just show up, check on them, make sure everything's okay. And I want you to take them to dinner and play golf. Okay, so, so God, you're, you're calling me to seminary. And at the same time, you've got this guy who asked me, said, would you like to eat, play golf, not get up early? And, and I'm unmarried at this point. Single guy living in an apartment with a $7,000 raise. That doesn't sound awful. It doesn't sound real bad, does it? And then in the scope of life and stuff, I could try that, couldn't I? But I felt called to ministry. And so I quit that job. And I moved off to to go to school with absolutely no money in my pocket. And I fixed my my, um, water pump that day just so I could make the trip. It was a mess. I am not a mechanic. So it only took like six times as long as it should have. 
I gave up that stuff. I'm not telling you that because I'm going, oh, Bob, you're so good. You gave up, you know, all that kind of stuff. What I'm telling you is if I had made a different decision that seemingly was, was innocent, I would have ended up in a totally different place and wouldn't have been where God wanted me to be. We faced decisions like that. There was a chance of compromising at that point. I could have compromised. I could have been a witness to corporate America. Could have taken it like that. I could be a witness on the golf course. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? And there is a chance that you can still do that. You just don't have to be in that world. But I could have compromised that. See, there are higher stakes when, when you consider what you're being tempted by or enticed to compromise. There are high stakes involved. Jesus, when he was tempted in Matthew 4, high stakes involved. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And what did Satan do? He said, I'm going to give you part of this story and see if you will give in. I will make you ruler over everything. I already am ruler, dude. You can't tempt me with that. You can't tempt me with you're hungry and I'll give you some bread. I own it all. I don't need bread. I provided bread out of heaven for a whole group of folks that needed some bread when they came out of Egypt. I don't need a loaf. It's not what I need. So Jesus goes through this temptation and, and what we find in And what we read in Scripture from that is that Jesus relied on the Word in context. He looked at it and said, this is what I ought to do based on what God's Word says. And he went through that temptation, heavy temptation, a worn-down temptation. He, He worked through that, and he called out God's Word in context. He says, you're not going to fool me. And so I would encourage you, Don't compromise on decisions that will change the trajectory of your life in an effort to cut corners or an effort to get around something just because it's less comfortable than something else. Giving your whole heart to God has the potential of bringing on greater temptations, but it also has the potential of bringing, bringing greater blessing to the glory of the Father. Both are in there. And so this pull on your heart, whether it's to compromise in schedule, whether it's to compromise something you're thinking about or doing, all those kind of things can lead to a missing of what God says is blessed. And so the writer writes this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its seasons. Leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. And so what the psalmist is saying is, don't take advice. Don't get caught in that, but get caught in God's word. Get caught in meditating on what God says is important. Find yourself there and see what God does in your life. It's interesting what he writes. He says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I drive and I look at a speed limit sign, if, you're, if you work in law enforcement, just kind of plug your ears for just a moment. I do not delight in those signs, especially when they go down. I don't find great joy in those. I find great joy in not even looking down at my dash and not looking at those signs. I mean, that's kind of where I'd rather be, but that's not what it is. What, what, what the psalmist says is find delight in God's word. He meditates on it day and night. He, he kind of lets that law become so part of his life that he can't pull away from it. And so instead of sitting in, in the middle of bad counsel, He stays in the middle of great counsel because he's spending time in God's Word. That's where he's planted. And then the psalmist says it's like a tree planted by streams. Well, what happens when a tree is planted by streams? It gets a lot of nutrients. Gets to grow, gets to 
And it says whatever he does, it prospers. The leaf doesn't wither in the middle of all that. So that tree is exactly where it needs to be. And if we're going to be the people of God that God's called us to be, we've got to be exactly where he wants us to be. And if you track through Scripture this whole idea of streams and water, we find a couple of things. What did Jesus offer the woman at the well? He offered her water, didn't he? But it was a different kind of water. He said, I could pull the rope up and get a bucket for you. You could be filled for a few moments, but I want to give you water, like real water, kind of stuff that you won't thirst with again. That's what Jesus was offering her. So we have that. And then you, you can go through and you can look and, and find these different spots. The, the Just baptism in and of itself, we, we fill that. You can't see it because there's greenery up there. There's water up on the other side of the greenery. At least I think there is. I'm not real sure. I hadn't checked it this morning. But there can be water back there, and it doesn't flood this place. But it's a place of, for baptism where we celebrate baptism. And going through those waters does not save you. But it signifies something. It signifies that you're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It signifies that there's been a cleansing that has taken place. And so when we talk about water, baptism has a part. This, the water of baptism has, has meaning and significance. And then you get all the way to Revelation 22. Very, very end. Revelation 22, 1, it says, And he showed me a river. This is, man, this is, this is a really cool picture. And he showed me a river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. You want to fish? Fish that one. Man, what a great place. It's talking about the water of life that's available to us. And when we read this psalm, it says he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. It's not just any streams of water. It's a picture for us to see, but it's, a, it's the reference of looking at it and saying, although I see this and I understand a tree and water, if we take our life and say, what is it planted next to? It's got to be planted next to the word of God providing us the nutrients and the nourishment and, and all the stuff that we need so that we can grow and accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. The weird thing about this is that seemingly we can transplant ourselves away from that water if we want to. We can move. It's the weirdest tree I've ever seen. But there are people that move from a stream of living water all the time because they say, I don't want to follow you, God, today. Or I don't want to follow you, God, in this decision. And we tend to move out of that place where we're growing and focusing on the Word of God. Guys, if we want to be blessed, we delight in the law of the Lord we meditate day and night, and the result is that we will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. There will be stability in our life. We'll be nourished by that which God provides. We'll be fruitful. That's what Jesus said in John 15. He says, abide in me, bear much fruit. He didn't say Marginally connect to me and do nothing. It's not what he said. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. To be fruitful. And then this whole idea of will yield its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. It's an aliveness. I don't know if you've paid any attention at all to trees around around here. When, when I, we moved from Kentucky to here, um, the, the amount of trees alongside the road and the, the area that we were driving through, it like increased a thousand fold. Now, Kentucky has trees. Okay, don't, don't get me wrong, but they're, they're a little bit more spread out. When we came here, it's like driving through a forest all the time. 
But there are parts of it, if you look around, every once in a while you will spot this tree, a tree where it seems like something is forgotten to take place. It's already turning brown or withering or yellow or whatever. And you go like, it's not fall. We've, we've had a couple days in the 70s and we go, yay. You know, we get all rejoicing about that. Don't write that word down. Um, rejoicing. I'm going to start using it more. Um, but we, we look at that, but we say, what's wrong with that tree? It's because we recognize that there's no aliveness in it. We are like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, like here in, this, in Psalm 1. Blessed, there's an aliveness that comes with our life. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get down at some point. But the characteristic of your life will be aliveness. It'll be life because you've, you're founded in who Jesus Christ is. And we want to be a vessel set apart for Christ. So the psalmist writes, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. And then we go around this corner. We make this 90-degree corner in this where the psalmist makes this distinction. And so what he does is he takes two vessels and he compares them. If I were to take two glasses up here and one would be all nasty and the other one would be perfectly clean, if I said, which one do you want to drink out of? You go, I want the clean one. But if you can't have the clean one, I still want the clean one. The psalmist is laying that out. He said, well, okay, which one do you want to be? I brought some, Deb's been fixing these smoothie things at the house. And, and, I, and I didn't know how this all worked. I know when she hands me the smoothie, it's purple. You can talk to her about recipes later, but it's purple. But if you let the smoothie sit in there for just a little while, like she'd give it to me on the way out the door. Here, drink this this morning. And I'll get to the office and I'll start unpacking stuff and doing things and you know, answer a phone call or, or whatever it is, check email, do all those kind of things. I'll look over at that smoothie and it's brown. I said, what happened? You gave me the ugliest smoothie this morning. He said, it wasn't ugly when I gave it to you. It, was, it only became ugly when you didn't drink it like you were supposed to. But, but even at the end of, the, end of that, if I finish it and I lay that cup down, it still turns brown and it gets nastier by the moment. If I brought that cup in and put a clean one here, you would choose the clean one. I'm sure of it. So the psalmist writes, the wicked are not so. Everything about the blessed man and the wicked man is, is distinguished in this first part of verse 4. The wicked are not so. So everything the blessed man is, the wicked is not. He makes this turn. And he says, let me describe the wicked. And we're going to do this really quick. He says, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Not like a tree firmly planted. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. That's all you really need to know, right? About those that do not have a relationship with Christ, this is the end. They're easily swayed. They're not firmly planted. They're easily sifted. In that, that if you challenge them, there is no reference point on which they can stand. So somebody who has no belief system at all, you walk up to them and say, I challenge you on that. That's okay, because I'm just going to move over here. Challenge me on this one. They have no reference point for what is truth. And so the wicked are not so. They're easily swayed, they're easily sifted, and they're easily sentenced. They're subject to judgment. When we're talking about judgment, we're talking about the judgment of God. We're talking about the wrath of God poured on somebody because of no relationship with Christ. And so the psalmist wraps it up like this. He says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, for I understand where the righteous sit, 
but I also understand where the wicked sit. And nobody's fooling anybody about who's sitting where. God knows exactly where you sit. God knows exactly which description fits you. He knows exactly which, de- which description fits me. You can't play games around God. It doesn't work like that. You take an, an omnipresent, omnipot- omnipotent God and say, God, I can hide from you. We learned that from Jonah is there's no way you can hide. He knows what's going on. He knows exactly what the stakes are, and he knows, he knows how to read the, the landscape. Listen to Isaiah. Isaiah 30, and I'm going to go back to verse 15. It says this, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. So what he's saying is, if you trust me, Trust me, this is what comes. In repentance and rest, you will be saved. So if I, if I turn away from sin and trust him and rest in him, in quietness and trust is your strength, but, you, but then it says, but you were not willing. So God offers and you push back. God offers, push back. He says, and you said, no, for we are... We will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses, therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. And then in verse 17 it says, One thousand shall flee at the threat of one man. You shall flee at the threat of five, until you are left as a flag on a mountaintop or a pole on a mountaintop, and as a signal on a hill. He's just kind of setting this stage and And then he says in verse 18, and this is the part that I want us to catch when we start talking about being blessed and having our life centered on who Christ is. It says, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. means he doesn't push off a decision about what is just and what is unjust. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. I look at that verse and say, okay, so in, sec, in the first part of this psalm, if I want to be somebody who longs after him, this is what characterizes my life. Is I say, yes, God, here I am. Help me to make wise decisions in the dash. Help me to yield fruit. And you will take care of the rest. Making right decisions changes a lot of things. Making right decisions can cost you a lot as well. I want to be very clear. Making right decisions, following after God... Holding to his word and being firm in that will cause you business opportunities. It will cost you sales. It'll cost you promotions. It'll cost you public accolades, recognition, and control. It will even cost you friends and family. But the reward. The reward is a glory, is glory to God the Father. The natural draw for us is to seek approval. Paul preached about it. He said, if I preach for man, I've accomplished nothing, but I want to preach for God and Him alone. That's where I want to be. I want to be very transparent, maybe, is a, is a word. I don't even know if I want to use one of these seats because I can't remember which one's blessed and which one's wicked. <laughs> you remember? This is a good seat? Okay, I'll sit over here. 
I'll, I'll take this. Thanks. Some days are good. Some days are not. Some days are tougher. There are challenges that come in some days where you just go, I've, I've, I've had enough. Or I'm at the edge. And I look at Psalm 1, and I think, okay, if I'm on the edge, where's everybody else at? And how close is compromise? How close are we to getting around this? Today, and and Dawn saw it when I walked in, she asked me a question, how you doing? All right. And she, I mean, she probably spotted it. And um, because the band was getting ready to rehearse and all that kind of stuff for this morning. And it's just like, all right. I sat in the back of Deacon's meeting, and Mitch probably saw it. I was like, all right. Struggling. Struggling on several fronts. I want you to know that, that just because somebody stands up here and talks or leads a Sunday school class or is in charge of deacons or, um, or some other leadership position in the church does not mean there's not struggle involved, and it doesn't mean that we don't find ourselves somewhere in between verse 3 and verse 4 where we're going, okay, God, help me to make this decision right and help me to gain the joy that I want to have in any kind of leadership or even even being a Christian. Help me to find that. And so when the psalmist writes this, my job, my job is to go back to Scripture. Now, I want to tell you, when in the middle of all that struggle, I listened to a little bit of a Sunday school class across the hall from my office. I listened to a little bit in Deacon's meeting. Debbie came into my office. And I was reminded that my joy is found in Christ. It's not found in you. Good or bad, wherever you guys are in that mix, it's not found in you. My joy is found in Christ. And so if you've got something, you go, I don't like the person sitting on the other side of the room. Your joy is not wrapped up in that. It's not wrapped up in any of that. Joy should be found in Christ as we meditate on his word day and night. That our focus would be so laser, laser on that what we see is Christ in the middle of our conference. In the middle of our concerns or in the middle of our stuff. So, guys, let's be a people that are blessed. Let's be a people that are firmly planted, that we would bear our fruit in our season, that our leaf wouldn't wither, and that all that we do prospers, not for our sake, but for the sake of our King, for the sake of Jesus that he would be lifted up. This morning, uh, I want to ask you to do something. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, first thing is you got to understand you're in, you're in the second part of verse 4 and in verse 5 because the relationship with Christ brings on a new righteousness. And so I want to invite you to that, first of all. But for those of us that, that are, we would put ourselves in the category of believer, I want to ask you this. Would you be able to identify things that divert your attention or distort your decisions? And then call them out as sin and leave them here. Drop them at the altar, walk away from them, not to come to the altar, say, God, here they are, and then you pick them up, put them in your pocket on your way back to your seat. Would you be willing to do that? And at the same time, decide to leverage your decision-making opportunities for God's glory because you're rooted and founded in Christ and in his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together.
Father, we come into this place and it's easy to come into church all fixed up or at least appearing all fixed up. And yet in this room, it's probably more like a construction zone where sometimes it's hard to tell exactly what's being built. At times it looks like there's need of repair and adjustment. But Father, we know you're working all things together for good to those who love you and called according to your purpose. That you are completing in us a work that you began the day we turned over our life to you. And even before that, as you led us to that decision where we gave our life to you. So Father, I pray that as we consider what our response needs to be to you, that if it means coming to this altar, if it means going across the aisle, if it, whatever it means, Father, I pray that you would draw us to yourself. And in our surrender to you, that our life would reflect the blessedness of verses 1 through 3 in Psalm 1. So God, we ask that you would do that in us. And that you would make us a people chasing after you with all that we are. As weird and uncomfortable as it might get, that we would be chasing you above all. Father, we love you. We pray you'll do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.